Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. And here I was thinking they would rip-roar into Christmas music right off the bat. But no, I was, you know, Pete got all the Christmas music, but no, the guest host, Chad Adams, Blues Travelers, anyway. Appreciate you guys uh, joining us. Chad Adams sitting in for Brett Winterbull. By the way, appreciate the shout-out from Brett, who's enjoying some much-needed time off, well-deserved. Uh, the entire staff here, just a, a, a crack team. Enjoy working with them always, 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 always. I'm typically a coastal inhabitant where the weather is always beautiful and it's just amazing. I mean, Garrison Keeler had people that were sometimes above average, but uh, down here, it's just the weather's above average all the time. Even when it's bad, it's good, but it's just delightful most of the time. Now, Christmas Day, you know, we're going to be dreaming of a dreary Christmas, I guess. Well, it looks like rain. Lots of rain. <laughs> just a dream. Keep the kids inside. Phones and video games and... Altered reality, I don't know. But if you want to get in on the conversation, we had a lot of phone calls yesterday. 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. This is the last kind of news day before Christmas. No telling what will happen. A big story did break right before we went on air. I'll get to that momentarily. But uh, obviously, your calls are always welcome. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Now, right before, literally... Right before we went on air, Jack Smith, the special counsel going after President Trump, you know, a, a, a very, it's a very divisive situation out there, regardless of how one feels. Um, the, the president was the Jack Smith went, you know, bypassed the Court of Appeals, the D.C. Court of Appeals, and went straight to the Supreme Court of the United States saying, we want to expedite our case. We want to make sure that he's not immune from prosecution. We can't get overturned later. Wanted to be. Wanted special, you know, to be kicked up and wanted to be considered. And they rejected him completely. The Supreme Court on uh, today rejected a request by special counsel Jack Smith to fast track arguments on whether Trump had any immunity from federal prosecution for alleged crimes he committed while in office, a move that will likely delay his trial. The court did not explain its reasoning and there was no noted dissents. In other words, even the lefties on the court, you know, Katanji, she could have said something. None of them did. So this, you can't look at this through a partisan lens and say, well, it was because of those conservative justices. No, it was, no, they didn't take it. They didn't offer any words why. Major blow to Smith, by the way, who made an extraordinary gamble. And I'm reading, I'm getting, I'm trying to give you CNN's version. No, I'm not trying. I am. I'm giving you CNN's version of the story because I, w- I figured it would be wildly entertaining. They're melting down, you know, the MSNBCs, then the other three letters, uh, news agencies melting down over this one. The court's decision, a major blow to Smith, who made an extraordinary gamble when he asked the justices to take the rare step of skipping a federal appeals court and quickly deciding a fundamental issue in his election subversion criminal case against Trump. It's still, both sides will still have the option of appealing an eventual ruling by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals up to a high to the high court. But the court's move is a major victory for Trump, whose strategy of delay in the criminal case, including mounting a protracted fight over the immunity question, which must be settled before the case goes to trial. So Trump's team had, had a good one, a good day. This is where it's kind of like watching this bizarre tennis match where one side is throwing, you know, 240 years of potential prison time at the other side. 
We'll see. And trying to remove him from the ballot in state after state. And everything they do, and, and I'm not saying this as some kind of Trump acolyte. I'm just saying this. I, I think that all of the candidates out there who are struggling for any kind of oxygen are drowned out by the political left's desire to make Trump the nominee by giving him everything that, that he said they would do. He said they were going to make a political prisoner of him. That's what they're trying to do. They're absolutely trying to you know, go after him. And it's funny when people from the left say, oh, Trump's a criminal. The guy sitting in the White House could be taking money from foreign countries. Was there any influence peddling? Clearly Biden, Inc., via Hunter, all the phone calls going to Hunter, all the phone calls with his brother, James Biden, that's unraveling. It, 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 the news gets worse day by day. To sit here and act like you've restored some kind of sanity to the White House, it's far worse. This president dotters through things, The board, and I'm not going to go into it. I will go into some other fun things, but uh, not that particular fun thing yet, because we've talked about it. We've discussed this before. So um, much to discuss. Now, I do want to get to some fun stuff today. It's the, the day before Christmas from a radio perspective. Of course, we have the weekend. Get your shopping done if you hadn't. I've got to get mine done. I've been so busy with this. I haven't even thought about it. I've talked about it, but I haven't thought about it. I've got to do some shopping. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, I, there's another thing that was released, and it is that Rand Paul every year releases his Festivus lease uh, update. The Festivus update is a list. It's called the Festivus Report. It's the ninth one he's done, uh, kind of a play on words of the airing of grievances from the Seinfeld episode back in the 90s. And so what he does is he looks at government waste he puts a report together, releases it. It gets more detailed and more problematic every year if you are a U.S. taxpayer. If you pay taxes at all, listening to the show, you are. Some of the you can't believe it, and you have to wonder if you ever wonder why Republicans and Democrats both deserve a lot of blame for what's going on in Congress. You just read through this report, and you can't believe it. And I, I don't want to go through some of this. I love the cover on it because it's got, you know, Barbie and stuff like that on the cover of it. And you have to wonder, what are some of the things? So I started reading just the list. It's $900 billion deep. Now, a good portion of that is uh, the it's called the Barbie doll photo used to get COVID PPP funds. And that's 900 or $800 billion. So that's a lot of interest on the national debt, $659 billion. Dr. Fauci's monkey business on NIH Monkey Island, $33 million. Uh, US, uh, what about walking dogs in the summer? That's, uh, we don't know the total amount on that, but we spent it. What about Russian cats on a treadmill? $2.7 million. And when you go through these, so he lists them out. He lists them out so you can see you know, what, where all the money was. And then he goes into detail about all of it. And it says, you know, the faces of Barbie's dream world played a, a role in the fiscal nightmare that was COVID-19 spending. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go through this. I think this is funny. It's just fun. And you can sit back and listen and <laughs> you can get all torqued about it right before Christmas. I'm not trying to be gritchy here. This was your money wasted on stuff that you, you did. You paid for it. You should be aware of it. It's the most wonderful time. It's hard to compete with Andy Williams. So I'll give George credit. He got me on that one. See, first intro. No, this one, music. Christmas music. Dominating. 
I think some songs, by the way, have been back on the top 40 again. I think uh, the, the one, the Wham one made it in Britain, and I think Brenda Lee's uh, charted again here in this country from the 60s. Now, when we enter the break, by the way, Chad Adams sitting in for the wonderfully vacationing Brett Winterbull. You would like to get in on the conversation. You give us a call, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. When we went to the break, we were talking about Senator Rand Paul, he of Kentucky. He put out a list. He puts out a list every year. It's, it's a list, a cumulative list of waste and, and absurdity in government and, and, the, and how much of it gets out there this year's list is about nine eight hundred nine hundred billion nine hundred billion dollars the barbie one's kind of funny because I, I didn't explain that well because we were going to a break and i wanted to kind of tee it up and and unfortunately i teed it up and knocked the ball off the tee before i hit it so want to get back to it so they were talking about the 800 billion approved in covid paycheck protection the famous ppp funds but what you may not have know is as all those federal agencies were sending those funds out a lot of folks didn't realize that people were using Barbie doll faces as proof of identity to steal taxpayer money, and that's where they got paid. So there were multiple examples where people would send a picture of a doll's face, and, and there are, he's got examples of that, and they were able to get PPP money. It was supposed to be an AI system to verify proof of identity quickly, you saw how stupid the program was because the AI couldn't determine whether those were real people or dolls. So a lot of people just submitted stuff. The verification system did not catch the images of dolls. It didn't pick it up. Gives you lots of confidence, doesn't it? So millions of dollars got wasted there. Also, the uh, interest on the national debt, in case you didn't know, $659 billion in interest. Uh, the previous, the 2022, we spent four hundred and seventy-five. billion billion in interest. So we've spent another almost 200 billion just on interest payment and it's getting worse. What about Dr. Fauci? Now, you've heard a lot of stories about Fauci, but here's one you probably didn't know. Probably completely unaware. Did you know that in South Carolina there's a place called Monkey Island? It's a 3,000 populated island of monkeys raised on state-owned island. The National Institute of Health run by Dr. Anthony Fauci, signed a $33.2 million contract with a local business to uh, feed the monkeys and care for them before they're shipped to research labs around the country. The federal government established the colony in the 70s through the multi-million dollar contract to care for the murky, uh, monkeys, changed hands a few times. NIH also paid millions to pharmaceutical company to maintain Monkey Island. Didn't know? Maybe a tourist destination. You can go see Dr. Fauci's Monkey Island. 3,000 monkeys. By the way, off the, the coast of Puerto Rico, there's a monkey island. It was used for testing a long time ago. Now, they just study the monkeys running around the island. You can take a boat because they can't monkeys won't swim. So they're there. On the north coast of, of Puerto Rico, there's a monkey island, too. Monkey islands all over the place that you didn't know about. And no, monkeys are not indigenous to Puerto Rico. They were brought there. Also, the Egyptian tourism. Did you know that U.S. money was spent to uh, help boost Egyptian tourism? Six million dollars. Six million for Egyptian. We've spent over a hundred million on Egyptian tourism so far. So if you go to see the pyramids, just keep in mind some of the money to attract you to the pyramids was your money to start with. Heading over, here's some of the funny things. If uh, if you ever been out in the summer and you walk your dog, you know it's hot outside. Did you know that we we pay people to to walk dogs? We use federal tax money. So when you walk outside in the summer, uh, Labrador retrievers are walked outside in the summer. They get hot. Getting hot while walking in the heat might be obvious to you, but the United States Department of Agriculture, agriculture, 
allocated cutting-edge research to support a summer study that walked 16 dogs, two different color dogs, by the way. And if you've ever had Labradors or any kind of different color, you know that black uh, labs get a little hotter, right? Black dogs get a little hotter. They attract more sunlight. So they, they, they walked 16 dogs and then measured their rectal temperature. Researchers found that Labrador's fur color did not affect their body temperature. Affect their fur, but not their body temperature. Uh, taxpayer funded 1.7. Uh, the Agricultural Research Services at the USDA, which funded the study at Southern Illinois, gets $1.7 billion a year to do such amazing things. I wanted to, there's so many I've been here, but some of the funnier ones, my, the funniest one I ran across when I was initially looking at the story for you guys was that we, we <laughs> it's another Anthony Fauci thing. After having their brainstem snipped, Russian cats were forced to walk on a treadmill in Russian labs. Thanks to U.S. taxpayers, Russian scientists funded with your money posted videos of their catwalk studies, which showed shaved cats hooked up to electrodes struggling to walk on a treadmill. $2.7 million from the National Institute of Health given to the Georgia Institute of Technology in the U.S. Then the Institute then subgranted the funds over to Russia, covered by U.S. taxpayer money. Um, and finally, one I'll give you before we have a little bit more fun. U.S. officials testified that another $38 million in COVID payments, an average of $83,000 each, went to people that the government knew had already been deceased. The figures came back from the Special Task Force Congress authorized to track COVID payments. $10 million was paid to individuals who were already dead on the date someone applied for funding. In other words, someone applied on their behalf. The government doled out $1.3 million of your money to 30 people who had been dead for at least a year. Not the first time that's happened. By April 30th, 2020, the U.S. Treasury Inspector General knew that $1.4 billion was sent out to more than 1 million Americans who filed taxes in previous years and then died. They haven't been able to get that money back. That doesn't include the lobster tanks and a hundred other things. But what I love about this is at least someone in D.C. cares enough to put this stuff together. And wouldn't it be nice if all of your folks that were serving us in Congress, from both parties or all parties, I don't care, actually cared about this stuff and stopped and said, why are we doing some of this stuff? Why are we, why is, why is this, you know, when I was a county commissioner, I used to always, one of the things that kind of surprised me when, 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 I, was, when I was in elected office is I would always ask myself, is this, whatever the funding request was, is it worth taking away money from people who earn it to do this is it worth? I would. I remember sitting there eight years. I was a county commissioner, and I would sit there and 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 I was. I guess I was idealistic, uh, young enough to be idealistic at that time. I was in my early thirties, and and I would look and I would look at the, the budget request. I would see what we're spending it on, and you know sometimes you could see the long term ramifications that were good. There was some positive to be achieved by this. You have to replace sheriff's cars, things of this nature. But then you would see some stuff that you're like, why are we, you know, we have 50 nonprofits. The government is picking our county at that time, and every county across the state does this, was picking four or five of them and giving special favoritism. The first year or so that I saw this, I went back and started looking at the nonprofits that had received, and, and nonprofits do wonderful work. I'm not, charitable organizations do, I'm, I'm thankful for them. I wish we had more of them. But when you look at those, you have to ask yourself, do they do after they get government money? Do they become addicted to that, and or do they continue to raise money and be really good at serving the public? And what you find is, once they can convince 
four of seven, three of five to give them taxpayer-funded money. They don't work nearly as hard to go raise money, and they, they, they stop having the kind of impact. Uh, and it's a shame. Welcome back, folks. Chad Adams here, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, I have no trouble saying ladies and gentlemen. Distinct, different, make a difference in the world. Now, two, that's not a problem. So some of the other ways, I'm not going to belabor it too much. I do want to get to some of this. It's kind of funny. Funny, not funny. It's kind of funny, satirical in a way. Funny, not so ha-ha is funny. I can't believe they did that. And the military, I'm grateful for military. Thank you, the veterans that made a difference. But sometimes the leadership is it, it does less than stellar work when it comes to respecting you know the taxpayer dollars because you want all of those. Look, I want the military to do two things very well: kill people and break things. It sounds terrible to say, doesn't it? But think about the formidable force that is the most devastating army on the planet: Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard that can do those things. Because if you're if you're that feared, if you're that feared then nobody's going to mess with you. If you're the most fearsome army on the planet, if you, if you kill people and break things, you, you render an enemy unable to do anything to you. You render an enemy unable to fight. That's what I want my military, as an American taxpayer, as a citizen, I want them to be the most lethal force on the planet Earth. I don't want them involved in social-emotional learning. I don't want them involved in the whole transgender issue. I want them to be the most lethal. I don't want them to get into equity studies. I want them to treat all of their people the way they should be treated. I want them to have the most amazing technology to destroy our enemies. Sounds brutal, doesn't it? Here it is three days before Christmas. But that's what I want them to do. So when I see these things, that the U.S. Army had to spend $89 million improperly stored 80 gas turbine engines. They left them out in the open air, Didn't just didn't store them, $1.1 million each, and just stored them. Wrong. $89 million down the tubes. Just wasted. We had to, you had to scrap the engines. And, and then another $112.6 million in transmissions. What happened to the $12.6 million? They improperly stored 135 hydraulic transmissions at $12.6 million. The requirements say to store them in a shed, just to store them in a shed. They didn't. And that's a, that is a profound lack of respect for us when people in positions do things like that. Additionally, the, what about tanks? The DOD Inspector General cataloged 117,534 vehicular track shoes. These are the things that go on military tanks, tank treads. 68.29 million why? Because they were just left outside. They weren't covered up, and they just went bad. Rusted, useless. All they had to do was be kept protected. 68.29 million. Think about those three line items, just as the sheer number of taxpayers involved just to pay those three small. The, the, I mean, you could go multiple cities in North Carolina just to pay for those three mistakes. And, and unfortunately, they happen time and time again. And, and, and you see this and you think, why, why is my government doing these things? You know, what? So, and there's another thing, by the way, when you do your taxes, yeah, I know you've seen it. For those of you who actually do your own taxes, you've seen that little box for $3 on your return. 
So it, it, income tax payments says $3 you can put for the presidential campaigns. And people do check that box. As of November 1st of this year, there's $400 million sitting in that. Unused. $400 million. You have to wonder, why, why do we provide unused and unnecessary welfare for politicians in their presidential campaigns? Just get rid of that. Save the American taxpayers $400 million. Can be done. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, it is 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. Now, that's just the federal. I, I, and again, I, just, I barely scratched the surface. There's so many more uh, you know, backstage passes to shows, misinformation on social. They've got, you've got $3.8 million uh, to uh, counter misinformation on social media in black and rural communities by the National Institutes of Health, you know, Fauci's group. The four hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars on a uh, uh, Fauci's transgender monkey study. I, when I go after the, I, I can't believe they're true. But it just amazes me. But when you—that's th- what Rand Paul has done. The senator from Kentucky puts that together every year. It's the Festivus Report, and this is the ninth year he's done it. Would it be neat? You know, we—you wonder about what about state money, your local money, your county money, and you know it's wasted. You know, every school. By the way, j- just a sidebar of local stuff. Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg Schools, CMS, I guess it's called, Chartered Mecklenburg School System, CMS. Sounds like you know a broadcast network, doesn't it? CMS, only on CMS. So all of the school, we have about 113 or so. I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood because all, 100, all 100 counties have a school system. And then there's a few that are city that are kind of remnants. Like even in Columbus County, which is a very large geographic county, but a tiny uh, town called Whiteville. It's Whiteville, North Carolina, or Asheville. These are towns that have their own school system. There are several of them around the state, and they so that's how you end up getting 113 or so you know local school districts. They are not required by the state to have what's known as a fund balance. Every school system in the state, none of them are required to have a fund balance. It's it's not even recommended. It's not required, and yet you find school systems hoarding taxpayer dollars. There's billions of dollars sitting in the bank accounts that's not needed for for a school budget because the truth of the matter is, and and the schools will tell you, well, what if an air conditioner goes bad? What if blah, 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 blah? What if? A lot of what ifs. But counties are legally responsible for those types of situations. That's part of why counties are required to have a fund balance, roughly about 8.5%. And so when you see a county, they've got a fund balance. A lot of counties have started hoarding more money, and so they end up with 16, 17, 18, 19, 20% in their fund balance more billions and billions of dollars held back. And they say it's good financial stewardship. It's not. It's it's not. It's The, the state wants 8.5%. That 8.5% number is kind of archaic, and most county commissioners and county managers probably can't even tell you why that is, but it's because of the way in which counties used to get money. They used to get money, and they needed to keep, in case they couldn't get revenues, they needed to have enough money to cover a month with no revenue. So 8.5% is roughly 1 out of 12 one month out of the year. So they could cover expenses as revenues were coming in. But once counties started sending, and by the way, counties are not required, cities, counties, they're not required to send you a tax bill. They do that because they know if they if they send you a tax bill, you'll actually probably pay your taxes if they, because you're required to pay it whether they give you a bill or not. In case you didn't know, you're required to pay it whether you get a bill or not. So, but the school systems have been poor-mouthing people about this for decades now. And in the meantime, charter schools have come around and so many other uh, other opportunities 
for public for for education for kids. But the school systems don't need all that money. They 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 can say they do. They'll pour them out the other death. But if they did need a, an air conditioning system or they needed something else, the county is obligated to pick up that bill. So that's where gov- when government starts hoarding your money. You have to wonder why. And if you did that, just think about the number of of tax bills that would come down. Property tax bills all across the state could come down quite a bit. Hey, got to give these guys some credit. Kicking some Christmas music in there. Chad Adams, your guest host, sitting in for Brett Winterbull. Hopefully he's enjoying his time off. Great station, as always, here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You would like to get in on the conversation, 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. Nice and simple, easy to put in your brain. Store it there. You'll have a better memory than the guy in the Oval Office right now. So, with that being said, I believe we have Jeff calling in, and, and Jeff has some uh, some thoughts about his tax bill. What's up, Jeff? Hey, man, I was just talking. You mentioned CMS. Um, I heard a uh, a bill per student for busing in Charlotte Mecklenburg, and a bill per student in Gaston County. You ought to look up those two. It's more than triple per year. I mean, I, I don't mind you know picking your school and going to a different school, but the parents ought to be the ones to put that bill. Not the county, not the CMS, not everyone else that doesn't have children. So what you're saying is the the, the school system in Charlotte, in, in CMS, Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system, they are, they're, the cost of moving kids around in that county compared to Gaston County, you're asserting is about three times the cost per kid at CMS to maintain the bus fleet yes. and transport the kids. Per, well, that's kid it. per year is almost triple. And what's amazing about that is charter schools. So you have many charter schools in that region and in, in, in the area, in yeah, CMS, Gaston County. They don't get that money. And they don't get money. If they have buses, they have to get it on you know on a pursuit. But they don't get any money for capital expenses, not for buildings, not for any of that, not for buses. And so when you ever see a charter school, you're thinking, wow, they're so efficient. They have enough money for the kids and the buses out of the money, the little bit of money they get. So, yeah, that's pretty shocking. Are you saying they also that, that in CMS that, that the parents can send their kid to any school and the, the, the CMS will send their kid across county or something like that? And I yes, hope you're not saying they that. They will bus them to their school. They'll take, well, I mean, they'll take them to school, but you're, you're not saying that they get to pick the school. The CMS picks the school the kids go to, right? Negative. The kids get the, to pick if they want to go to another school, and wow. uh, CMS gets the bill for for uh, shipping them across. So if three kids live next door to each other and they go to three different schools, the county is responsible, the, the, the CMS is responsible for getting them to the three different schools, even if they're the same age elementary school kids, right? Yes. That's bizarre. That's just, yes. <laughs> that, that lacks the sense God gave a grasshopper. So, I mean, Jeff, I appreciate that. Appreciate the call. Well, let me, I got one more point if I can. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, the other night you had a lady on there that was a county commissioner, and uh, she was a convicted felon and still got voted in as county commissioner. She made the statement that the money that she stole and the money that she uh, received unjustly was not from any anybody. It was from the government. Where does she think that money comes from? <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't. That was actually probably Brett that had that interview, not me. But having said that, you're at you're a hundred percent. So if you rip off the government, it's okay. I mean, it's taxpayer money. It's your money. It's just as it's it's. Oh man, that's a good point. I mean, and, and Brett Brett, you know, loves to hammer that stuff too. But it's did she act like it was okay to have ripped off the money, or she just felt like, well, it's yeah. a little less of a crime. Yes, it was the last one. That's all I did. That's what she said. That's all I did was rip off the taxpayers for schools. Yeah, she she said she didn't rip off one uh, one person. She's right. She ripped off everybody. 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 That just doesn't. I mean, it amazes me that that you're saying she tried to justify it. Yeah. I tell you, what, wonders never cease, man. It's like Hunter Biden saying he's the victim in all this stuff. It's just funny. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I appreciate the call. Merry Christmas to you, man. All right? Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Fantastic. I was, it's funny that Jeff's, uh, Jeff said that. And, and not funny. Again, it's this funny uh, disbelief. It's like, did, did I actually hear that with my own ears? Is that for real? And I'll have to look up a little bit more about that in the break. Because we have a guest coming at the top of the hour. It's Lynn Rackmuth from uh, North Carolina Education First Alliance. Uh, she's a Harvard grad, so I look forward to engaging her on that conversation and a lot more. But she'll be joining us after the break. Now, right now, though, one of the last things uh, from that uh, that wonderful list from Rand Paul. Remember, the Governor Cooper has since day one, uh, pretty much if you looked at what Governor Cooper's attempted to achieve as the governor of our great state, it has not been about tax cuts. He did want teacher pay, but whatever the Republicans said they were going to increase teacher pay, Governor Cooper would try to double or triple it and just say, look, I want to give you more. I want to give you more. I am the governor that wants to give you more money. And, of course, he has no Spanish accent. He actually has a very Nash County cupper. It's a very interesting. It's like if you took Mr. Rogers and then you moved Mr. Rogers to Arkansas via North Carolina, it's that accent. It's this very soft-spoken. And, again, I've said this before. A very nice, genteel guy who hates Republicans. I have nothing personal. Seems to be a good father, good guy. Uh, It's like Josh Stein. I've met Josh Stein. Josh is a very engaging individual. Disagree completely with their policy because it's very easy to say, I want to give money to everybody. And that's all Cooper's done. So one of the, the signature thing that Cooper, in eight years of being governor, the only thing that he can really pin his, I I did that, I got that, is Medicaid expansion. Somehow he convinced enough Republicans to say expanding Medicaid is a good thing for North Carolina. They said it's going to save the rural hospitals. And this has a lot to do with the lack of competition in in hospitals and what's happened and the consolidation of it. We'll talk about that later in the broadcast. But the fascinating thing, he expanded Medicaid without looking at waste, fraud, and abuse. So we're expanding this program to include 600,000 more North Carolinians on a government program that's horribly inefficient in Rand Paul's list of waste. So the federal government, the Biden administration sent out a whopping $236 billion in inaccurate checks, otherwise known as improper payments. What does that mean? Federal law defines that term as payments made by the government to the wrong person in the wrong amount or for the wrong reason. So 2003, it came to $675 million a day, $50 billion. I'm just going to Medicaid. I'm not going to go to a federal pandemic or earned income tax credits or payment protection program or American opportunity tax credits. Just Medicaid alone in this country, $50.3 billion in improper payments. So we just expanded a program in North Carolina that has $50 billion in waste, fraud, and abuse in it 
already cake built into the cake. Already built into the cake. Congratulations. You'd think you, if you could recoup that money, you could have expanded Medicaid without costing another dime. Much more to go here on the Brett Winnable Show. Your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in. We'll be back right after this. Hour two, getting ready to be underway. Stay tuned. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Friday, December 22nd, 2023. Chad Adams, your guest host, sitting in for the effervescent Brett Winterbull. Hour two, as I said, here it is before Christmas, a little bit after Hanukkah. And our next guest is someone I've, I've gotten to know over the past uh, two years or so, someone who burst onto the scene really fighting for educational opportunities for kids across the state and, and really taking on a lot of the status quo political types from both parties. Uh, she, you've heard her on this station before, but I've interviewed her, and so is, I, I believe, uh, uh, Pete Callender has as well. Sloan Rackmuth from North Carolina Education First Alliance. Sloan, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thank you. Doing very, very well. Just kind of trying to battle the Christmas shopping stuff, even though my season is past. I'm still getting out there into the mall into it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, you have been fearless in your approach. You have challenged the status quo at uh, both at, at the North Carolina Department of Education under Catherine Truitt, a Republican. You've challenged the State Board of Education. You've uh, taken on the governor, uh, even the lieutenant governor running for our office, and, and just trying to point out you know, hypocrisies, wasteful spending, things of that nature. Can you kind of give us an update on what your organization's focused on right now? Because there's some other subjects you've also gotten into, and you're a Harvard graduate, so i got to find out more about that. So what are some of the things you're working on? Well, that's very not nice to bring up that, Chad, about my uh, <laughs> status as a Harvard graduate <laughs> about now. Had to do it. But... Yes. Um, well, actually, Education First Alliance is a, a conservative organization, and so we are across the board applying conservative principles to all sectors of education. But above all, we are reformists, and that means, you know, we, we're obviously for educational choice, but as well, we are for reforming the current state of public school education, which is, I, I believe, new for Republicans. We have you know, long abdicated our responsibility to reform this institution, preferring to leaving that to liberals, and that hasn't really gotten us anywhere. So to your point, I, I do like to hold everyone accountable because so much depends on it, namely children. Even though, you know, some of us have our kids in private school or homeschool, we still have to do our very best to provide children with a safe environment, with a, a best-in-class education. 
You even challenged, I guess, the you know the, the medical school down at ECU in Greenville because of some of the promotion of transgenderism in kids, these surgeries and things of that nature. And actually, was that, you were able, you know, you got a lot of pushback at first, but then people started realizing, hey, what you're saying is true, and it really turned up the heat down there. So, kind of give us a, an update on how that's going. Well, it really did. So we discovered that Duke, ECU, and UNC, and that is the state's premier research institutions and medical hospitals, were offering treatment for two-year-old, three-year-old, and four-year-olds who happen to be transgender. Now, anyone within the sound of my voice realizes that's patently absurd on its face, and yet they were all offering these treatments publicly. We first relied on publicly available information to make our reports. We got over 5 million reads. Um, to your point, uh, we got a lot of international uh, attention and, and pushback is always the first response uh, when these organizations stand to lose a lot of money. Look at what's happening at Harvard now. But our second phase, Chad, of our, our investigation involved some 35,000 pages of internal documents we received from both ECU and UNC thanks to um, General Assembly members who made sure we got those documents, we not only verified that this was going on, but in one case, and that would be ECU, we were able to show that a lot of the money that went for special needs children actually was diverted to this unicorn theory of young children being transgender. You know, people are hearing this, and it's hard to fathom that there's any kind of ideology that thinks this is good. That that's the part that's amazing. When you said it, even to me, and I'm someone who's not, you know, <laughs> it's not like I turn a blind eye to the idiocy of the left. But when when you told me that, I had trouble even believing that that was something that was in you expected in some of the kookier places. But ECU, just west of Wilson, there, just just I mean, sorry, just east of Wilson, east of Raleigh, and yet it was there. It was it was truth, bizarre. Well, and Republicans were trying to cover up for it. So the, yep. the real mystery to me during the past three years that we've been doing this and really investigative journalism is our, our main bailiwick here at our organization. Um, we have had the most resistance from p- Republicans, particularly those who have been elected or those who want to make sure that their elected guy or gal serves in perpetuity. And so we we've you're right. I mean, we've been fighting mainly Republicans um, who prefer to keep the status quo. And I know that's another thing that, you know, your listeners will be shocked to hear, but it's absolutely true and unfortunate. It is. Uh, in, you know, there's enough of a battle just for school choice, for people who want to homeschool, for people who are in charter schools, even these educational, uh, the opportunity scholarships, you know, for kids that are in failing schools. You know, the 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 standard operating procedure from the left is you're stealing money from public schools, not that parents should have a choice or that it's offering opportunities for them to break out of failure, but you're stealing money. And you're you're not only fighting that battle, but you're also fighting the battle against the people who uh, in many times would support choice, but also defend some of these practices that are bad. And where do you think that the navigation takes you? As you navigate those waters, you have to have political alliances and, and they're not always with you. They're, they're, they fight you on some to defend the status quo, as you just pointed out. But also, they're the you've got to have a path to expanding opportunities for kids. Well, our alliances early on were national alliances, which allowed us to um, get outside support to to turn our, microfi- or our microscope on what's going on here. 
And eventually, once we earn respect and show that we're here to stay, we're not going anywhere, we're, you're going to have to put up with us in your ecosystem here, we started to change behavior and to get some more alliances on the ground. But as you know, when you're inside the political world, which we are, we're a political pack now, um, you know, once you understand the behavior of, of power and protection, you can more, you have a lot more to work with in terms of making, uh, encouraging the right type of behavior. And so we've been able to get a lot of, um, you know, allies who are here a part of the political process and fully helped us out a lot over the last year. Well, our guest is Sloan Rackmuth. She is the president of the North Carolina Education First Alliance. We're going to keep her through the break. Appreciate you folks tuning in this afternoon. Chad Adams in for Brett Winterville here on WBT. It's absolutely a pleasure and an honor. News Talk 1110-993. Some Christmas music blaring out there. Our guest, Sloan Rackmuth, she, the president of the North Carolina Education Alliance, Jewish. We'll get to that topic shortly uh, just because I've been in touch with her and we've had several conversations about what the heck's going on. Sloan, I uh, appreciate you sticking through the break. We had a caller in the break that, that had a question, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'll turn it over to you because I think you'll probably be a more astute on this one. They said there's a there's a female in a middle school in in CMS Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools that identifies as male and she's I guess participating in sports and they're allowing her to use the male locker room in middle school and and he was asking who determines the rules I mean my guess is it's the local school board that determines that it's a policy kind of situation but what does somebody what should be done in those instances because it's getting crazier and wackier all the time. Well, it really is. I mean, the, the determining body actually in all school issues, believe it or not, happens to be the General Assembly. And they have ruled in on this. And there has been a law that was passed this last session. And it's the Fairness in Women's and Girls Sports Act. We were the moving spirit behind that. We, Our organization was the first to report on a female volleyball player up in uh, at Highlands uh, High School who had been spiked with a ball in the face and received severe damage um, by a male player. And this led, of course, to the passage of this bill. So there has been a bill, uh, and I believe it will be enacted at the first of the year, but it makes this practice uh, not legal. Now, we have a side issue, of course, of uh, males who identify as females, uh, which is ridiculous on its face, uh, going into bathrooms and other shared personal spaces with females and girls and um you know the the school district may disobey the state law but they also may be sued and may be defunded so those are other avenues um when when a school district defies what the state law has outlined it is bizarre i mean certainly you know if 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 you've watched any sports, high school sports, that's where you really see these distinctions. You know, I watched lacrosse for a while, and you're watching high school girls lacrosse and high school boys lacrosse. It, 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 the level of potential violence is is much higher. You know, with with these guys that are running much faster, much stronger, and and stuff of that nature. But this is kind of a different one where you've got a girl, a, a girl trying to identify as a boy in middle school and being in the boys' locker. That that's the opposite situation of what we're used to. So they're just asking it's just bizarre but if this law passes it should deal with both of those well very yeah well uh, there's a very good question um it does it it separates uh, the sexes in these 
uh, in these issues, but it's very dangerous uh, when you have this situation in reverse, and here's why. You could have a, a female who has a, well, let's just say a, a mental disorder, maybe going through something in life, and she's, let's just say for the sake of argument, 14 years old, and she goes into a locker room full of, of males, and then, you know, a month later reports that she's been sexually assaulted just by virtue of being in a male locker room where males can inadvertently be at various stages of undress. That subjects our young men to a lifetime of, of stigma after they will inevitably be convicted of some sort of sex assault uh, uh, complaint there. And so uh, a law going the other way, I believe this bill would provide for that as well. But look, this is a dangerous situation. It's a, a situation that could be very, uh, very dangerous where he said, she said. I mean, my goodness, can you imagine? Yeah, it's, a, it's just a, a through-the-looking-glass kind of way. That this has nothing to do with educating kids. It's just this you know, identity politics and, and, and promoting, you know, these – it's just – and parents buy into it. It's just bizarre. Now, Sloan, we, we talked October 7th, you know, kind of a day which will live in infamy in, in Israel, uh, having been there on the ground in Israel, been to Staro right there, you know, adjacent to Gaza. Uh, the, the, the global pushback against Israel, uh, who didn't provoke this attack, the attack happened, and then it's as if it didn't happen in some – you know, 2.4% of the U.S. population Jewish. You were very outspoken about some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, you, and, and, What's your take on where we are right now? A lot of pushback uh, uh, against the Jewish community. It's like it's, like it's okay to be, to be racist against Jews or something all of a sudden. It's been very bizarre. Well, it's not all of a sudden. It's been long going. With DEI and CRT, this is the predictable end result. Look, I jumped into this game of fighting CRT in the classroom because I saw the so-called Black Matter, Black Lives Matter curriculum about four years ago. And I recognized it immediately as the same curriculum that the PLO or the PFLP in the territories came up with. And I knew right away what the end result would be. It would be violence. And yes, I said it, the DEI curriculum promotes violence and it also promotes terrorism. And we can see that now in our streets. People are going, my goodness, where did this come from? Well, it came from the the same type of education system that raised up the Red Army. And that is actually what we have in our schools, not the beginning of it, but we're, we're starting to see it bear fruit. So, uh, you know, these, these issues are very, um, uh, very personal for me because yep. I am Jewish and I am very outspoken uh, about that. But you have the Democrat Party here in North Carolina, which, number one, refused to seat its Jewish caucus. It, it was also, weird. That was the weirdest story. No one believes that. It's it's yes. true, but nobody wants to believe that actually happened. Well, it it actually did, and and the reason why I believe it is because we have people, Jews, who were on that caucus who testified about that to the media and to me, and have we have the videos to prove it, etc. But but look, Chad, two years before that. Uh, the Democrat Party in North Carolina was the only Democrat Party in the nation to put forward a resolution, several in fact, that sanctioned not only Israel, but the Jewish people. And it happened for two years in a row. So you're looking at North Carolina as ground zero for political anti-Semitism right here in our midst. And I was born and raised in North Carolina. I have not seen anti-Semitism up until the last few years. So it, this is really coming home to roost. 
Now, I've got to keep you through the break because it's leading, all of this is leading to some very obvious questions. You not only have the, the reality of, of your background, as you said, you've seen this anti-Semitism. We have the first Jewish person in North Carolina history to win a statewide election in Josh Stein, attorney general now wanting to be governor. Uh, we have, uh, you went to Harvard. He went to Harvard. You've got some very strong opinions about what's going on. Josh Stein is running from this one as hard as he can. Uh, we're gonna, we want to continue the discussion with you. If you can stay for one more segment, okay? Sure, happy so, to. Sloan Rackmuth with us from NC Education First Alliance. Staying with us through the break. Welcome back, folks. Continuing our discussion here, our excursion into broadcast excellence. Chad Adams in for Brett Wibble. Having fun, as always. Sloan Rackmuth, our guest right now. She, the president of the North Carolina Education First Alliance. We talked about a lot of things in education, and it's astounding some of the fights she's having to have on that front. When we went to the break, though, we, we were talking about a number of things that had to do with what had happened in Israel. It's, it's their 9-11 and, and kind of the bizarre pushback. When, I didn't say this to her, but it's it's my strong belief that Antifa becomes BLM. BLM becomes the Palestinian. It's the same kind of people who can take the time off and go and show up in protests and riots. It's not a huge swath of Americans, but they certainly have a great propaganda machine. That leads us to the fact that, look, we have an attorney general, Josh Stein. He is the first Jewish person in North Carolina history to win a statewide election. He is someone who's been aspiring to be governor for many years and is on the precipice. He's probably going to be the Democrat nominee. But, he, you know, the Harvard situation, haven't seen a lot about about what's happening over in Israel. He's he's just promoting himself as being from North Carolina, even though he's a Dartmouth Harvard guy that was raised in Chapel Hill uh, and from D.C. So. What's your take on on the Harvard situation? Forty instances of plagiarism. Nobody would be admitted to Harvard with that kind of background. And some of the comments she made before the select committee on on anti-Semitism and stuff was bizarre. That it it depends on the context whether it's okay to talk about genocide for Jews. She's still there. President Obama helping her. Our Attorney General, who is a, it's Jewish, has said nothing. What's your take on this as a Harvard grad? Well, I mean, there were very clear and very strict guidelines for plagiarism uh, when I was there, and I graduated in 2007, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, and moreover, I experienced no anti-Semitism while I was there, uh, which is very telling. Uh, I believe that the ushering in of a very radical president the year after I graduated had a lot to do with that. But um, it, it, you know, it sets the bar lower for black and brown students when Claudine Gay is doing things that no, very few black and brown, white, or, or any, any students would ever do. And it's sending the message that, hey, we don't require the same rigorous standards uh, from, from minorities here at Harvard, which is racist in and of itself. And that is the racism of DEI that we have been trying to call out and, and to great success now, because even though this is a very, very dark time for world Jewry, what is on display is the dangerousness and the outrageousness of DEI. And a lot more than conservatives are paying attention. Everyone's paying attention, and they're, they're not only alarmed, they're just getting sick and tired of this garbage. This is not America. So you think she should resign? Absolutely. Of course she should resign. Look, if you don't don't have the common sense to know that calling for the death of Jews is against the student code at Harvard, you have no business 
running Harvard, you really have no business on the property at all because that's a dangerous mindset to have. And I cannot believe that she's still in leadership. Look, Bill Ackerman, who has been a, a very far left billionaire, um, has really woken up after this. And I just read a tweet of his, a very long tweet, as is his custom lately. And he points out that he's talked to many on the board. He has some insiders. He believes that they are afraid to take action because the color of, quoting, gay skin. And again, black and female, black and female. That's right. And this is very dangerous. And it's disgusting because most black females that are in positions of leadership, if not nearly all, would never do something like this. And the Harvard situation is bizarre. I agree with you that I think the anti-Semitic stuff was underneath a lot of things. I was amazed that how the different movements, these different Marxist-Leninist movement from CHOP to BLM to Antifa shifted so quickly to become these, which would tell me that there was a lot of anti-Semitism already in it. It's kind of the new flip side racism. A lot of Jews are white, so it's okay to, to marginalize that group. Uh, the, the level of and, and I don't I do not think it's broad across the country. I think most people are very, uh, very tolerant. They, they don't care. They really don't care what, how you practice your faith and what your background and, and Jewishness is more than just the faith. It's kind of a culture when you're in Israel. You realize that. So this looks like just a, a, a very strange. It's a very uncomfortable place for Democrats to be. Why do you, do you think it's fair to ask Josh Stein his opinion on some of these things? I mean, I got a lot of pushback. I got of trolled heavily for even suggesting that Josh Stein is a Harvard grad should should at least say something, but he's been oddly silent. No, but am I wrong? Not. Look, look at the look. Yes, because look at the tweets here. He he every other day it's it's formulaic for him calls Republicans extremists and racists. Every other day, if not every day, and look for that to uh, increase in regularity. So, if uh, and, and I've gone after him, and I will continue to do so because if you are calling out extremism, if you're calling out racist, but you leave out your own party, you leave out your own school, you leave out uh, defending your own people, then you are the problem, and not the people that you are trying to call out. Look, I have not heard him give any position on the anti-Semitism, vile, pro-terror anti-Semitism that's going on on the campus of UNC. But he took high dungeon to anyone uh, not towing the line for Black Lives Matter uh, repeatedly on the university campuses. So he's a hypocrite. His own party, you know, is, is, is barring membership for the Jewish caucus, and, and yet he said nothing. He is Jewish. He says nothing. He's running and trying to establish himself as a North Carolina native, even though he very much not can a petting cows as if he knows a lot about rural North Carolina, and still silent on these glaring issues that are confronting the, the state and, and the nation, and, and, and the media has been silent on asking him anything. It's a propaganda well, war. It's a bizarre one. It's against his own culture and faith. Well, he's he's lost the what we call the Jew card, which he planned on playing. And I wouldn't put it past him to play. And it's the, as a Jew, I find X, Y, and Z offensive. Of course, the X, Y, and Z would be anything and everything that we do here on the Republican side. So we have formed a new coalition. It's a Jewish Republican coalition because there are hundreds 
hundreds and hundreds of Jews who are sick and tired of this, and they happen to have left the Democrat Party for our party. And listen, we're not going to let him get away with that, because you can't, for a political expediency, claim your Jewish heritage and, uh, you know, whenever you want and ignore this raw anti-Semitism when it's not convenient for you. It's just strange. But uh, Sloan, I appreciate you being a part of the broadcast today. Again, uh, give folks your website address and how they can find out more about you. Sure thing. It's edfirstnc.org. I'll spell that. E-D first N-C, like North Carolina, dot org. Please consider donating to us. It's the end of the year. And if you're looking for a way to really put your money to work to stop this radicalism, we are a great organization for that. Well said, Sloan, and appreciate you being a part of the broadcast, okay? Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Much more to go here on the Brett Winterbull. Oh, you got it. And much more to go on the Brett Winterbull Show. Running a little late. Appreciate that. Continuing on. Appreciate you folks as, as we get closer to that sunset that's quickly approaching on these short days. Shortest being yesterday. So we're actually, believe it or not, we're we're just going to get longer from here on out. The coldest months are ahead. It's rather chilly out there right now, but uh, and, and the roads are a bit of a mess. It's supposed to be one of the busiest times on the road of the year. I mean, traffic is snarled in in Raleigh and in, in, in Charlotte. It's it's a it's a bit. People are rushing out, and especially those. And I dare say this, especially those men, women, maybe getting last minute uh, stocking stuffers and stuff. And men, very sexist here, but men, they, they are the lost cavemen of yore. This is the, it's so funny. If I were to ever write a book and, and were, were to be able to correctly convey some kind of sense of humor, it would be, it all goes back to the woolly mammoth. A lot of our behaviors do. And, and it's like women are prepared. Women are going out. They're gathering. They're taking care of the kids. And I'm not being sexist here. It's I'm talking about the past. And women were more organized. They were prepared. Men, you know, maybe the woolly mammoth came close enough. They'd go kill one, drag it back, eat for days on it, and then sleep. And instead of a spear now, men have adopted remote controls. So they're, they, that's why men are always the remote control, right? It's like it's the spear. And they're kind of, oh, they can change the, the channel with the spear, a point. And they, it's hunting. It's hunting for something to watch. So men are realizing it's it's occurring to them in, in their Netflix-induced haze after work that uh, I probably need to get something, probably need to put some thought into it. My, my father, <laughs> I lost my parents the past few years, but I'm, but I'm thankful that I was raised in a house that, house that one valued Christmas. I had some truly miraculous Christmases in, in my life and with parents that, that, that put a premium on it, even when they were young and and we were living in tiny houses and stuff like that. And the tiny houses back then were, ugh. I was raised in Puerto Rico. We had a three-bedroom concrete house. I bet that thing was 800, 900 square feet. But, but, but it's amazing. My father, the, the older he got, he was always chronically late on gifts, uh, meaning that he would wait to the last minute. And, and for many of you that remember service merchandise, uh, things like that, was the warehouse club before there were warehouse clubs. And I remember he waited so long one time that he had to wrap up pictures of the gifts he bought because they hadn't come in yet. That was, that was amazing. We got these presents, and it, it would be wrapped around ordinary objects like a pocket knife or something like that. And it would have the picture of the gift he bought you, but he waited too long, and it, and it won't, won't come in until after Christmas. That was a funny one. Second funniest one is as he got old, and you'll appreciate this in North Carolina, not you folks in the mountains, but most of you in North Carolina, we don't get white Christmases, right? So 
decided we got old enough, uh, my sister uh, and me, uh, that, 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 that having basic supplies were good as we were young people. My sister was 11 years younger, and he would go at the last minute, go to Sam's and get like, you know, and this became a big deal at, during the pandemic. That's about the time he passed. But little did we know that would be a big deal, but he would get, you know, a case of toilet paper and a case of, of paper towels for us to supply our stock closet and call it the White Christmas. That was the the gag. Every, every you know, the last ten years or so of his life. Hey, here's your White Christmas, and that was the way it was. But that, you know, he was an engineer. He was engineers see the world differently. They don't necessarily look at aesthetics. They look at how things function. And from a functional efficiency standpoint, that's the way he was. And I appreciate both of them to this day. I'm very blessed to have them in today's world where we don't have as many, you know, two parent homes. I'm very deeply appreciative of that. Now, I do want to get to more of, and I don't know that I'll get the time to do this, but I'm going to try to because we got we got a lot of time to go. If you would like to get in on the conversation today, feel free to give us a call, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. That's here at News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, Brent Riddlebull Show. Uh, I'm Chad Adams, your guest host, carrying you through today. Next week, day after Christmas, Tuesday through Friday, I'll be on the air earlier in the day. I'll be helping out with Pete Callender's show, and I think Brett returns. I'm not sure. Not sure what happens, but I'm thankful and, and enjoy being here. But someone over at the issueinsights.com wrote a heck of a column called Dear Santa. I don't know if I have time to read it. I, I want to read the entire article. It says, Dear Santa, why is Christmas so blah, 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 expensive this year? You know, Jill Biden's creepy video featuring a trope. Did you see that? By the way, did any of you see the video that Jill Biden released i mean i know most of you did because you have a way of getting to conservative news but it was the most bizarre christmas stuff from the white house i'd ever seen it was it was a an altered state way of looking that had it 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 did you know restoring class to the white house did not include that video at all there's no there's no standard by which that you would never put that in a in biltmore you wouldn't put that in a hallmark movie you wouldn't put that in any 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 imagery you have of Christmas in your mind, that video that Joe Biden put together would never enter into that equation, and and they were doing that. So it, I, I, you know, it was like like what one person said: it's really going for the Hunger Games as a Christmas theme this year. You know, it would it was this bizarre group of dancers and uh, make garish makeup. It was. Off. You didn't know exactly what they were doing. There were, there were Christmas decorations somewhere in the background, but the, the dancers kind of overwhelmed you with, with visual stuff that didn't add up, and you thought it was an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. You hear me say that because I do feel like it's, it's this through-the-veil kind of way we're looking at things. And again, I'm going to I'm going to go into sci-fi for a second. If you remember, Ray Bradbury wrote a, a short story called The Velt, and it was a it was a fantastic way ahead of its time. It's way before the Star Trek holodeck existed in, in in popular culture. But it was like that where you would the kids could go in a room and you would entertain them because they would be immersed in an alternate uh, kind of a digital world. They could be you know on the beach or they could be in, in this particular thing. The kids were on an African plane and ultimately they were so desensitized way ahead of its time. So desensitized. Then when their parents came to get them, they were imagining watching lions, but the lions had kind of become real and killed the parents, and the kids were desensitized to it completely. Wonderful short story, way ahead of its time, written back in the 60s, I think. But uh, that's where we are. We're kind of in this alternate reality the Democrats have created in the way we look at the world, the way they want you to look at the world, where we've we've secularized 
everything, you know, about the founding of the country, about the way we should be, any number of things. We will get to this column. Dear Santa, why is Christmas so bleep and expensive this year? Funny, witty, on point. But right now, we need to take a break, get to the top of the hour. Hour three, getting ready to be underway here before we break for Christmas. Stay tuned. Much more to go. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. tell you what i love 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 this audience <laughs> it was i love this audience merry christmas to all of you happy new year coming up i'll be with you next week as we journey closer to the end of, of 2023 draws to a close goes to the history books like dinosaurs uh, it, it's amazing those years they, they just go away you don't they're gone forever that i mean every day is a day done but when you when you go through the whole year you recognize it or when you enter a decadal thing in your life you realize it and so it's, 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 it's good practice to try to get caught up in the moments, those great moments in life, because they are fleeting. And only by having, I guess, bad ones do we really appreciate the good ones. That's the nature of human existence. But big shout out to this audience, this WBT audience. I tell you, what, I love you guys. Uh, I'm sitting in for Brett Winnable, the great staff here that's making it wonderful. My name's Chad Adams. And online, on Twitter, so I had put a couple things, and I drew the ire of a couple lib lefty progressive types. And and they just started trying to sab. They trying to whenever you would answer, and I you learn something very quickly on social media is you can never rationalize with irrational people. And so these you know these these, these they they claim to be Democrats. They don't use their real name. They they claim they represent people, and thus they're a group. They're not a group. They're they're individuals, and they start savaging you. And, and if you ever answer their concern and try to be nice, then they savage you and they they change the subject matter. So in other words, if you if you correctly, if you correct them on a given topic, and then they go and they go to a different topic and attack you on that. Well, what about this? And then they'll they don't know anything about you, and then they'll make personal attacks on you. Oh yeah, you're you're not a nonconformist. Prove it. You're a journalist. You see, well, what journalists would never say that. And I was like, well, actually, I'm a talk show host and don't claim to be a journalist. Was a journalist, and they just start savaging. So here's the beauty of the WBT audience. They've gone online. And essentially declared war. I mean, a special shout out to Lynn and 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 Adam and, and a couple others. They've just ripped these people to pieces, and it's just like watching the shr- the shards of, of of a remaining pyre. <laughs> Everything they did went up in ashes. They don't give them any quarter whatsoever. And so I'm watching this in the breaks, and I'm just they're just ripping them apart. I mean, these the defenders of Josh Stein, these defenders of Roy Cooper. You know, you point out the amount of money. The fifty billion dollars. By the way, fifty billion in waste, fraud, and abuse money that's gone to people that either don't exist, written to the wrong person, whatever. 
that ca- got cashed. And Republicans that supported Medicaid expansion and, and Cooper that wanted Medicaid expansion, they don't want to talk about that. They want billions more to go into med. They want billions more, even though $50 has been wasted. Just imagine if we didn't waste the $50 billion, what we could do to help people with that. But they don't. So special shout out to you guys. You guys are fantastic. Anybody that wants to get in on the conversation today, 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. You guys are always welcome to move to the front of the line. And now... Oh, <laughs> Still going. Oh my gosh. It's just I'm just loving you guys out there online. This is the uh Dear Santa, why is everything so why is Christmas so flippant expensive? Joe Biden's creepy video featuring a trope of tap dancers showing off the garish Christmas decoration of the White House prompted one journalist to comment that they are all, quote, really going for a hundred games look this year. While they're prancing around in the Capitol, out in the districts, everyone else is struggling to pay the sky high cost of this festive season. Are you traveling to be with friends and family? Airfares, 18% higher than they were Christmas of 2020. If you try to cut costs by driving, gasoline prices are, even with the decrease, 45% higher than 2020. Buying food for your guests, 20% more than the last Christmas before Bidenflation took hold. PNC Bank's annual Christmas price index, a gimmicky index that measures the cost to buy all the gifts mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas, has gone up more than 13% in the past two years. In other words, All those things you hear, the five golden rings, all that stuff. Haven't bought a Christmas tree yet. It'll cost you about 10% more than last year, which is on top of the 10% from the year before and the 10% from the year before that. Thank you, President Biden. Much appreciated. Those Christmas lights decorating the house, your electric bill will be 24% higher. If you're sending Christmas cards, stationary costs up 27% under Biden. At least drowning your sorrows in alcohol is getting less expensive. Alcohol, uh, you know, only up 6% since December of 2020. I mentioned gasoline, stationary electricity, food and beverages up 20%. All items in general, 18%. Even hams up 16%. Wages are not up as high. That's why it it bites more. Of course, this doesn't count the fact that Americans have to squeeze the spending out of a 4% decline in real average weekly earnings. In other words, when the previous president was there, wages actually went up more than inflation. Under Biden, they've gone up less than inflation. So people are, even though they may be getting more money, it buys less. It's just uh, amazing. To put it another way, Bidenflation costs the typical family an additional $11,400 a year. Now, just think about that. An additional, uh, overall, when you look at electricity and food, gasoline, the day-to-day expenditures, taking care of your kids, the average, $11,400 a year, which is why more than one in three Americans say they are skipping Christmas presents due to inflationary concerns. Is it any wonder then that as the Bidens frolic with dance tropes while lecturing Americans that everything's okay, food prices, our ability to pay bills, housing affordability, gasoline prices, and overall inflation are the top five economic issues in most polling. Most families this year will probably feel less like costume tap dancers and more like poor Miss Cratchit from A Christmas Carol. Imagine the scene Bob Cratchit raises his glass after the family's Christmas dinner to toast. President Joe Biden says, mimicking White House talking points to Mr. Biden, the founder of the feast, to which Ms. Cratchit replies, the founder of the feast indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon and hope he'd have a good appetite for it. That's where we find ourselves. It, it, it is. It is. A st- I still when I, whenever I see 33 percent approve or 34 percent, I mean, now Biden holds the record of in the polling era, having the most consistently low polling 
for that many different months. Even Carter had a few better months than Biden's having. That's hard to believe. Biden now has a the, the American record for being the least popular and liked president, and yet goes around saying everything's fine. It's hard to believe this could be a close race, isn't it? It's just, and it's hard to believe the Democrats don't come out of their, their cave and go, ah, it's bad. It's so bad. <laughs> I mean, literally, the, the, the roof has fallen in. The stairs are gone. The doors don't work. Wind is blowing through the house. They can't heat it with their solar panels and stuff. And they're saying, look, folks, everything is fine. Look, this house is in good working order. Imagine a car, you know, a car, if you had a car and it only had, you know, three tires and two of those tires didn't work real well and didn't have a transmission, but the engine kind of ran and the Democrat were to tell you it's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the car. That's what we're, the the Democrats are in a absolute free fall with the American public and trying to lie to them and say everything's fine. Everything's not. Got a great story about that, but we'll get to that on the other side. Oh, have a blue Christmas. Welcome back, folks. I I wonder how many people are watching. There's like five bazillion Christmas movies on every potential platform that you're watching, from YouTube to Amazon to Netflix to Freevee or Hulu and all the rest of them. But, you know, some are actually good. They're kind of the same, but they're kind of, they set the mood. I do want to say hello to Bonnie. Bonnie, thank you for calling this afternoon. Chad Adams sitting in for Brett Winnable, 704-570-1110. If you want to get in on the conversation, Bonnie's been patiently waiting. What's on your mind today, Bonnie? I just wanted to talk about that truck that you mentioned that doesn't work very well. You know, okay. it doesn't have tires or something like that. Yes. Anyway, I just wanted to say it's it's okay because it's that truck is mostly peaceful. <laughs> I was wondering. I saw the notes from the producers. And I was like, I wonder where Bonnie's going with this. But that was uh, that was very astute. I that's that's a good one. I, I needed to laugh. That was it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I thought you were going to thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for the call. I thought Bonnie was going to go down the path of saying, well, it's electric. It's a gas powered vehicle. So, you know, it's fine that it doesn't work. It needs to be replaced anyway. But I like that. It's mostly when it's inoperable. It's mostly peaceful. (laughs) That's that's a better spin than KJP can put out there. You can be the White House press course and she can come up with that one. The economy's terrible, but it's mostly peaceful. (laughs) That's good. Oh, that's why I love this audience. That is absolutely why I love getting on th- these shows because the, the audience just, ma- you guys make it worthwhile. As I, as we get closer to Christmas, I tell you what, I'm just getting in the right frame of mind for all of it. Uh, even the negative stories. Like I, to me, I have faith in what I have my personal faith, which, which, which is tough. It's not always easy to have faith, but, but I also have faith in this, in this country. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to put a pin in and say, because of, and then insert blank. Because I think the left, the political left by and large, is not a a group that has a lot of hope and optimism. What they do is they think that pretty much mankind sucks and that everyone wants to treat everyone and only the oppressed need assistance. And they it's only the oppressed people they pick because at different periods of time, there's no group of individuals on the planet Earth that at some point in human history hasn't been oppressed in some way. There's no golden group that's been since the dawn of humankind. It's had it easy. And, and what you find is I find when I meet poor and wealthy alike, everyone has different sets of challenges and mortality stalks us all. 
But but I'm astounded at how the left sees everyone as a victim. Well, the only pe- the people they identify with as victims. Those are the victims, and everyone else is the oppressor. There's oppressors and victims, and that's it. Everyone fits into one of those two things. Uh, you know, and, and when they switch over and talk about abortion, abortion is you know that's that's reproductive health. I don't know how anyone could say abortion is reproductively healthy for as a practice. It's not healthy. And re- no one's stopping anyone from reproducing if they want to. You have the right to reproduce if you can. And modern science means almost anyone can. But it is astounding the way Democrats spin. They spin the sex gender stuff. Oh, gender's a social construct. They spin abortion. It's about reproductive health. They spin race. And if you think about who benefits from us being angry at one another, it's almost always these special interest groups. Because imagine if you are if you realize that the vast majority of Americans are not racist, then any kind of race-based policies go away. If you realize that we're not really that sexist as a country either, that sexes are different and different in magnificent and wonderful ways, and that's okay. And if that is if that is what we are, and I think the vast majority of Americans are, and many studies support that then all of those who want to capitalize on that divisiveness, they don't have anywhere to go. All of those special interest groups on the left, they must have division. If they don't have division, they don't have a cause, and then we all get along better, and that, their money goes away. Unless you're angry. Now, the right does it too. Look, I have five. I've got an email account that I don't use anymore, mainly just to see, because it's all political. I mean, meaning that I get asked by a thousand, did you see what happened today? Donate money now to the blah, blah, blah cause. But it's not necessarily – it's more like we, we are the guardians at the gate. You need to give us money or they'll win and they'll make the world weird. You know, They'll make the world not – it will be this divis- divisive – and think about who wants to put people in jail for their beliefs. It's the political left, the climate change people. If you don't buy into the climate change cult, there are people that want to put you in jail. There are people that if you want to disagree, if you have any questions about election integrity, there are people that would like to put you in jail. If people believe in climate change, I don't want to put them in jail. I'd like to continue having the debate. I think the debate about an issue makes us better and stronger. About COVID origins, I think most of us deserve to know what happened. I don't think people ought to be shut up for asking those questions. Who does? Well, mostly on the left. That's settled science. No, it's not. Most of science isn't settled. Just remember. Just remember how cheese and butter and all those things. Margarine was the great thing, right? It was healthy. Science was settled. No, it wasn't. It was terrible for you. (laughs) Turns out... Eggs are good. Cheese is good. Low carb. Okay. Not as bad as we told you it was. So science isn't settled. We're learning and evolving and becoming more more aware of the world in which we live every day. And and I, I the political left wants you to believe we live in a country full of misogynistic, bigoted, racist, homophobic, uh, hate-mongering people, knuckle-draggers. School choice, it's not about school choice. It's about destroying public education. I know, I'm on a board of a charter school. I don't want to destroy public education. Charter school is a public school. We've been sued by the ACLU for the past 10 years because we recognize the difference between boys and girls. How dare we do so? It took million, four, I don't know, it took an obscene amount of money and seven, eight years to adjudicate. The ACLU will sue you for anything. You like peanut butter instead of jelly? Maybe you need to be sued. So the point being, we have a phenomenal country. I will get there. There's a couple articles. I don't want to be too heavy here as we head toward Christmas. I, again, let me go back to what I said. I am someone that's eternally optimistic. I have that childhood fascination with the world in which we live. I'm amazed 
by science each and every day. I'm amazed by the advances were made when people are cleared out of the way. The new Salem, the, the, the new restrictions are really the left that wants to stop. They want to rationalize healthcare. If you rationalize healthcare enough, you don't get breakthroughs. You don't have new and heretofore amazing things that happen. When they try to restrict, they're restricting the innovation and ingenuity and entrepreneurship that built this country and made it phenomenally great in spite of mistakes that it made. And, and we'll make more. But that's, that's, that's human. That's the way we humans are. We make mistakes. We learn from them. We become better than we were before. And we can if the left would stop troping on hate so much. So, But I do believe that the, the, the ability of this country to move forward, the ability that the founding principles of this country that made it great, which is that government largely needs to get the hell out of your way, that you do have rights, that you have rights first before the agencies that believe they have more rights than you do. And, and it, it, it's a, it is a – the founding documents, our Constitution, the Declaration, those are warnings. Those are warnings against an oppressive government, against regimes like we see in D.C. right now, against the – that's why liberalism wants to eradicate all that because it, it, it runs anathema to what they're trying to accomplish, which is much larger government. We need to take a break here. We're getting to the bottom of the hour as we head through this hour. Welcome back to the most excellent audience here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, your calls always move to the front of the line. We're going to do that in just a second. 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. Again, calls there. Phone rings. You go on the air. Jackie called in. Jackie, as always, appreciate it. Hey, how you doing, call. buddy? I am doing fantastic, and I appreciate you calling in, man. Hey, no problem, man. No problem. I tried to get you the other day, but couldn't get in. But I, I just found I was listening. I've been listening for the last twenty minutes or so. But I just find your uh, depiction or your description of of liberals and Democrats to be somewhat different from mine. I don't find uh, Democrats to be those kind of people that you're talking about. As a matter of fact, I tend to find conservatives to be more uh, angry and more stuck in their values, especially when it comes to religion and things like that. So that. Democrats and the conservative—I'm sorry—Democrats and the liberals that I interact with, and the people that I have relationships with, and I have uh, tons of relationships on the other side also. But I just don't see us that way, man. I think we're very accommodating. We tend to be generous people. We try to figure things out, and we're 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 really big on diversity, which. Uh, Republicans and conservatives tend not to be. You guys think diversity is a bad word, as a matter of fact. And uh, you think there's only one way to heaven, and that's Christianity, whereas liberals tend to accept all religions a lot more readily than conservatives do. And then liberals just don't seem to be as angry with each other as we as you guys tend to be angry at us. You know, you, got, you guys get mad at us, and... Uh, it's 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 just crazy the way we we act, and I, I think I, I tend to think they're more crazy conservatives and crazy liberals. I guess is what I'm trying okay. to say. So, Jackie, stick with me for a second because I appreciate your call, and I want to address some of these things. I was taking some notes. Okay, first of all, okay, sure. I think you you hit I think you hit something on the head. If if I overgeneralize Democrats, shouldn't have done that. I would say the far more progressive wing of the left 
is where a lot of this craziness takes place. The ones that want to tear down statues, the one that burn cities to the ground, the ones that are that that that, that well, are that well, are held. Well, wait, well, wait, 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 wait. Hey, listen, I let you talk. Okay. Let me talk. Okay? okay. I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm sorry. talking about the the chop zone people. Those weren't a bunch of conservatives that took over the zone in downtown Seattle. It wasn't it wasn't a bunch of radical conservatives that took over and burned three billion dollars worth of cities. That was a movement. It was a leftist movement. It wasn't a right leaning movement. Now you can go after the Capitol Six stuff and we could debate whether it was a riot or whether it was an insurrection. Should did they do things wrong? Yes, and I'll admit that. And when the when the right goes too far, I'll be the first to say they went too far. But I find that the tolerance, you talk about tolerance. Look, I just had a Jewish a, a Jewish guest on the show that, that's a friend. And I don't think, I think you, you conflagrated conservatives with Christian. Not all conservatives are Christian. They're not. Christians Absolutely. believe the path to heaven. Wait, Christians believe the path to heaven is through Jesus Christ. They do. Jews have a different belief structure. I think they're both taught. There are many conservative Jews out there. And there are many conservative Muslims out there. So I don't this melting. Look, I'm a strong believer in the melting pot. I don't my conservative friends. I don't sit here. We don't have a a, a line in the sand that's people of different races. I was raised as a minority in Puerto Rico and on the Mexican border. So I, 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 I don't believe that. And if you look at the number of Hispanics and blacks that are supporting Republicans now, that number is going through the roof. They are leaving the Democrat Party in droves because of the extremism. They don't see us as racist as many on the left do. Do you believe we're a racist nation? I don't. I, I don't think that. Okay, we agree. Racist. Then you and I agree on this. I think you and I have much more that we agree about than we don't. Is the point I would make. But so 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 when are we going to start accepting each other as a whole? Then, when you look at our, con- our congressional makeup right now, we're fifty percent Republicans, fifty percent Democrats in the House, and we're pretty much fifty percent conservatives. I mean, fifty percent Republicans and fifty percent Democrats in the Senate. So as far as the way we vote, man, we're voting, you know, right down the middle almost as far as against along party lines. No party is dominating the country on the national scene. I, I completely agree with you. And I think the battle, every election is a battle for that very, that very ability to either lead, follow, or get the heck out of the way. I mean, a, a lot of people are upset because Congress isn't doing as much. I'm glad that Congress isn't doing as much. You and I think you and I would both agree, and you've heard me talk, if you've listened to the show, uh, for about 20 minutes, I don't know if you heard or not, but I've been a pox on both of their houses on the, on, on the debt and deficit. I think both parties own that. I think the Republicans deserve a lot of criticism for the way in which they've managed things from an expenditure standpoint for the past 40 years, along with Democrats. I think the southern border is an absolute nightmare, and I think you and I would both agree that the southern border thing is ludicrous right now. I mean, you would agree been, with that. But, but we've been working on that since Ronald Reagan. But at the same – wait a minute. Not, was, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, uh, Jackie. It's nothing like – it's never been this bad. The, the, no, the border no, no, has I, never – I'm not talking about the severity of it. I okay. said we've been immigration. working on comprehensive sure. immigration since Ronald and, Reagan. And, and Congress, Ronald Reagan, Congress, Ronald Reagan Congress to is, the chagrin of many Republicans, passed uh, – he passed an amnesty. That was the first big amnesty was actually under a Republican president. Now, if we if we roll the dice on this, do you think now let's look at some of the policies and we could we could debate for days. And, and, and Jackie, I really appreciate the fact that you in particular listen to a show like this and take issue and call in. And you know what? You're reasonable. You're not making personal assaults on me. You're not you're not making. I don't think you're making personal assaults on anyone. I find this to be very productive. I think you would think that sanctuary cities have kind of gone out of favor because we find ourselves in a place where that is just not productive. I think you would also agree that defunding the police was a horrible movement. Do we need to make police but, departments better? But, yes. Defunding them? But, but, Who comes but, up but with Chad, that? 
but but Chad, we have to become more accepting of each other. There are people who believe differently than you do. That doesn't mean they're right or wrong. It means that they just have a different belief system than you do. Sometimes, it's, it's Jackie. Like, it's, sometimes, it's, it's just like you were talking, just like you were talking about religion a minute ago. You know, we believe di- we have di- relig- different belief, religious beliefs, but we can reach a point where we accept each other and we make an attempt to work together. And we're going to have to do that from a political aspect also. If we're ever, if we're I, I think and move forward, that when, we have to work together. I don't disagree. That's what makes us great. There are times where people are just wrong, and it's okay to say they're wrong. That doesn't mean you've judged them. If they're if they're doing things like trying to disfigure children, that's wrong. Oh yes. If yes. you know that you and I, I, I strongly believe, Jackie, that if you and I were in a room and we went issue by issue, you would find that you and I have a lot more common ground than we don't. And I think most well, Americans are like us. Not all, but most. But, I think we're not. But, a, but, go ahead. But but you brought up sanctuary cities. My position on that is if Seattle or any city in America, if the majority of those citizens in that city decide that they want to be a sanctuary city, that they should be allowed to do that or they should do that because that's their city. They're well, making that. Hey, choice. Jackie, is- Jackie, can you stay with me through the break? Because I don't I don't want to cut you off, but I got to go to a break. OK, so sure. Yeah, stick sure, with me. For a- OK. Continuing our wonderful discussion here on News Talk 1110-993. Callers make the best guests so many times, and we appreciate the caller we got now. Jackie stayed with us through the break. Jackie had taken issue with my characterization of some things, and as we're talking, I, I think you know we're clarifying some of, of that disagreement. And, and I think, Jackie, I'll give you this too. I, we went to the subject of sanctuary cities, I would say, and, and I want to get on to some others. And you're still there, right? Yes, sir. Okay, I appreciate that. So when we talked about sanctuary cities, it, the voters don't usually, and I, to my knowledge, have never done that. It's the those who are elected to represent them do. So would you say that a sanctuary city's definition is one that's not going to work with the federal government on any kind of immigration policies? That's the definition. It's a municipality that limits or denies its cooperation with the national government in enforcing immigration law. So would you oppose people sending tons of immigrants to sanctuary cities because they don't want to work with immigration? So they're kind of throwing the doors open saying, hey, we think these immigration laws are dumb. If you send them there, should they complain? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't quite agree with, with, with other municipalities sending people to these cities. But if, if these cities are willing to accept these people who get there on their own, I don't have much issue with that at this point. I don't. I don't think that somebody who walks into your city, you should put them on a bus or put them in a whatever a, a van and take them to uh, to to another state or take them to another city. I don't agree with that. That's that's that that that's just not right. It's not right because New York New York doesn't want to cooperate with immigration, but they want the U.S. government to pony up you know billions of dollars to cover the expenses of the immigrants that are pouring in there. And it's in. I, I do think with forty eight contiguous states that three of them in particular have to shoulder the entire burden of a failure of the federal government to defend the southern border. Would you take issue with that statement? Well, this is this Chad. This is when we have to push back on our federal government. Our federal government and our Congress is supposed to pass laws, uh, and and whatever that might be. But they're supposed to pass federal laws, and then once they pass those laws, they're responsible for enforcing them. 
And that's the problem. I mean, we, we hardly get ever get any significant legislation anymore because we're worried about things like impeachment and uh, investigations and stuff. So nobody passes any, nobody introduces any significant legislation. And if they do, it never gets passed. I mean, we've got two different house. I mean, two different you know parties ruling. We have a split. We have a split Congress and Senate. A split Congress. We have we we don't pass any significant legislation. All we do is talk about it, and we continually push things down the road. And it's it's that's where we are as a country, as far as but our government's concerned. Let, let's take it a step further. So I would agree with you. There needs to be com- uh, there needs to be comprehensive immigration reform. You and I agree on that, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Secondly, the laws that are on the books with respect to immigration are not being enforced, and that's the failure of the executive branch. And to act like the border is secure, you would agree the border is not secure right now. The border's never been secure. But it's but it's less secure now than it's ever been in our in modern it's history. It's never been secure. We just but got, it's, we've got more Do you people, agree that people, it's less We've got more people coming in than we've ever had, but the We have 3 million. Secure. We have 3 million waiting on hearings right now and that doesn't include the ones that have gotten through in the past. Well, I agree years. with you. So yeah, that, but that, it's never been secure. The border's never been secure. But it's also never been less secure. So I, I, I'll, but, I'll, 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 I'll accept that. Okay. But what I, my point is here, I think that you also would agree that a lot of special interest groups and some on the right too benefit from you being either afraid or angry. I think the pro and anti-abortion groups in particular on both sides really do play to that divisiveness, do they not? I'm saying right and left. Would you agree with me? I agree with that, but I do you, you know, my, do you my, think there's a way to, to to parse this? We've now kicked it from the federal government down to the state level. Do you think there's a way to say, hey, maybe six months, eight months is too far on the abortion front? Maybe we ought to find some compromise and get back to some semblance of sanity on that. Do you agree with that statement? My position, my 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 basic uh, position on abortion is that abortion is a moral issue that's between a woman, her family, and her doctor or physician. I think that's where that decision should be made. I don't believe that the state should be interfering in that particular issue. Okay, it's not for the state to decide. It's not for the okay. federal government for society to decide. And that's what I believe. I believe it's a, it's a personal moral issue. So, Jackie, up and until the time of birth, abort, kill the fetus, kill the baby? Up and until nine months, when it's a viable, a viable baby in there, kill it? I have some, I have some reservations about, about that. Okay. So there is, a point that it bo- there is a point that it bothers you, okay? But if, you know, but, but, but you wouldn't bothers, want to use but, abortion. You wouldn't want to use abortion as birth control, would you? No, but say, okay, you can have that, seven, eight, ten of them. Just use it. Just go three, five months, then change your mind, and at six, eight months, get an abortion. You wouldn't hey, want if that. that if anyway. that's a woman's choice, that's her choice. Unfortunately, I mean, people, women have been using abortion as birth control for years, forever. At what point Not, would you value a baby in utero? I mean, you're right. We're men, so this is an interesting discussion. At what point would you value that as a as a viable baby? I don't. I don't know enough about that. I'm not a doctor. I didn't stay in. But all but day but but night. in your mind, there yeah, is a well, limit I'm, where I'm, it seems where it seems too far. I mean, in your mind, it seems like it, it, there is a point where it's too much. Would you I, say? I can agree with that, but we have okay. to. We as a society have to agree with that. That's the challenge. I, 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 what I'm saying is, and we can't and we can't force the other side. We've got to reach an amicable agreement where we all agree to work under the same same. My same, point. Same, 
my same, point, same Jackie, thing. is that different states have, will have different laws on this. And probably having it at the state level is a constitutional reality. But it but, but it should it shouldn't be that way. They, they, we shouldn't feel we shouldn't feel differently about abortion in South Carolina than people in North Carolina feel about abortion. We're but you just people. said, but Jackie, but Jackie, you just said in your previous and again, I'm not trying to disagree with you. Okay, I'm trying to establish common ground. You just said in your previous argument that if a, if one city wants to be a sanctuary city, that's okay, and 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 if another city doesn't, that's okay. So but why would you establish the same on, thing? But, but, but my position on, 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 on abortion is that it's a moral issue. And if it's a moral issue for the whole country, then we should okay. all be operating Jackie, under the same, same, same standards. Jackie, I don't know if you, if you like Christmas. I'm going to wish you a Merry Christmas because that's how I, how I believe. But I appreciate you calling this show and being a part of this broadcast today, okay? And appreciate well, you I've listening. You this, I've listened to you a few times this week, man. And, uh, and uh, Are you going to be here next week? I will on Pete Callender's show, okay? Okay. I'll tell you Take what, care. if you get a chance, okay, Quick. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. You got it, Jackie. Merry Christmas. Have a good, we'll be back after this fourth hour getting ready to be underway. Stay tuned. You better be good for goodness sake. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yes. You know, it's funny when you have your own microphone on mute, it doesn't go very far, does it? So <laughs> appreciate that. Chad Adams sitting in for Brett Winterbull. News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704, the phone number 704-570-1110. And you can be a part of the conversation. And, and you know, here I was thinking, you know, we had all this Christmas music going and then hour four begins and we went right back away from it. So I'm, I, 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 I'm going to be solely responsible for trying to get us back in that mood. And I, it, it may be above my raisins, as they say. So appreciate you being a part of this broadcast today. Appreciate all the calls as well and and an eventful day and a a lot going on out there. And and, and it's hard to get into serious subjects this late in the day. It's it's the hour before this show finishes. We're heading into the Christmas weekend, the holiday season uh, for for the vast majority of you. And, And there's shopping to be done. There's traffic snarling to get done. There's 
There's uh, receipts to get ready for all the things that must be returned after Christmas and all the jewelry that needs to be resized or corrected. There's there's all the frustration <laughs> of I, – I wonder – I want, I've been very blessed in life. I didn't have this problem in my family, but uh, but according to many surveys, this time of year is very stressful, not just for the, the, the shopping and the food, and but it's that families around the dinner table kind of go at it because there's nothing like a fight between family members, right? They're blood. It's not like you're going to they're not not your blood. So you, you get around the dinner table and there's a disagreement. And it's on, and and it's it's like they and you can bring because your family you bring family into it, and it can get ugly. And uh, if you've ever been around that in anyone else's family, it's one of those awkward moments where you just wish you could crawl under the table. And I hope many of you don't have to put up with that. Unfortunately, some of you will. And if you can, if you know that that's an issue with your family, try not to. <laughs> Just try. It's not always easy. Uh, heck, um, um, the kids come home and you see some of the wingnut wackadoo stuff they bring home from from finishing up school. One that graduated, one that's a uh, uh, senior this year, and some of the stuff at where they are. I'm very grateful that they're my stepkids, and they 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 have common sense, so they they don't go down that track too far. They like to be to disagree, but they still have the kind of value system that, that's going to make them very successful in life, which is, you know, hard work, uh, listening, uh, paying attention, reading, challenging their own belief system and moving ahead in life. So very, very blessed in that, in that way. So uh, very much appreciate it. Now getting on with it uh, a little bit. And that is that, Oh, it's just so hard because these topics are not really positive. I, I don't want to get into it too badly because it's so deep. But but I tell you what I'll try. No, because I've, I've got that story for later. But I, I will get to this. You know, on a show like this, there's a broad array of topics that the host cover. Now I, I will be mad respect to the folks at WBT. In fact, my wife said, "Hey, what do they tell you to talk about?" And I said, "They don't. They have the trust in the host to pick the topics." And the way in which we address those topics, and I and I suspect I know Pete Callender well enough. I don't know Brett Winterbull as well, but but they have the, it is their show. It can go in the direction they wish for it to go. It's the freedom of discussion that makes talk radio so magnificent. And and those topics, are, there are many of them that are that we have to keep discussing there they're in the popular genre the situation on the border that that you heard Jackie discuss earlier it right now it, it, there, there isn't a comprehensive immigration bill a pox on on all parties for not having anything it's kind of like neither party wants to address social security medicaid and medicare because it's the third rail of american politics any any political group that tries to fix it is going to be you know they're going to be staked out you know they're they're going to be staked out out, out in front of the, the, any any political office, they're going to put them on stakes and stick them in the ground like something out of Vlad the Impaler times. That it will be the end of a political career for anyone who tries to fix the federal government, except for one particular individual who wants to fix it. I don't know that he will. I don't know that he can get elected, but he might. And it is it is amazing to me that we've reached a point in society where we cannot have solution oriented discussions on some sacred cow topics. 
The comprehensive immigration reform, no matter who comes up with one, it will be pilloried, it will be kicked around, and it will never be enough. It'll never be enough if, if, if a bunch of conservatives come up with one. The left will think it's egregious and putting people down and marginalizing the downtrodden and, and hurting people. And if, if the left comes up with one, the right is going to say, this is not immigration reform at all. It's just opening up the borders. It'll go too far. There have to be some reasonable limits to allowing people to come in the country because just to the south of us, we have narco states. And those narco states, if you study any of the history of, of narco terrorists that we've had from Escobar to the Cali cartel to the Sinaloa drug cartel, these are vicious, the equivalent of third world nations that do not value life. They do value power in a way that any politician would love to have. But these are vicious, horrific terrorists that that the laws don't apply to and that, that are able to buy up government officials. And they are operating on our southern border and importing death and the mechanizations to deliver more death to our country. Because they you can guarantee that much of what has come across in those tunnels and much is and there there are dozens and dozens of tunnels, very complex tunnels. I mean, El Chapo was magnificent at building tunnels and then killing the people who built them so nobody would know where they were, but he he would be the only person that knew. These are multi billion dollar operations. If you kill one, there's another one that comes up right behind it. They love what's going on. So at a certain point, we may have to militarize our border. I don't know what the answer will be, but no matter what they do, it won't be enough. And that's the problem. That's one of the most significant problems today is that solutions are becoming out of reach because the sides have been pushed. To Jackie's point, and I, and I agree with this, the sides have been pushed. The extremes, in many regards, are defining each side. So the political left is being defined by the Alejandro Cortez, the Rashida Tlaib, the Adam Schiff's, the, the Swalwells, they're kind of, and even Schumer. Schumer's no no moderate at all. And and even in North Carolina, we find this. I, I, I happen to know Robert Reeves Jr. His father and I were commissioners together for several years. He's the minority leader. Very reasonable guy, but he's put in a position, even Hakeem Jeffries, they're put in positions where they must write things to appeal to their base. So it comes across as as further left. The same thing with the right. So many times the right defines itself, but the right is much more, at least from a political standpoint, they just try not to, I mean, Kevin McCarthy wasn't right-leaning enough for the conservative base. He was a more moderate force. You find that the, the, the political right, what the political right is tired of is they're tired of being so moderate and getting stepped on and used by the media and kicked around. And they've reached a point where it's almost got this don't tread on me attitude, and they're pushing back. They, they feel like for 40 years they've, they've moderated themselves. They feel like they've been kicked aside. The debt and deficits have ballooned. The moderate Republicans have done nothing to try to fix it. So now we find ourselves in this position where there's a huge chasm between the two sides. And you find interest – well, I'm not, I'm not going to defend any particular politician, but it's, it's amazing to me when they run to the middle to try to get elected. And we, we're going to see that a lot. I think we already see it in some of the commercials you hear right now. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Pleasantries. For a nice winter evening. Now that we have winter upon us, we're day two into winter. 
it's going to feel like fall. I guess it's going to feel like a lot of stuff falling from the air. Soon it'll be not in the form of white. It'll be just a rain, a rainy Christmas predicted. Uh, to give you some insight into the mind of a host like me, and I'm not pretending to be like any other host or they like me, is that some of the topics, you know, as, as, as you gauge them, you know, we, I have a great one on the racism of the elites. You know, we're seeing that, that, that even being in these elite universities like Dartmouth, Har- Dartmouth or Harvard, w- which are, by the way, Josh Stein's alma maters, um, these Ivy League schools, it's not insulating them from bigotry. Just because they are institutes of higher learning, you would think they would be less, but it looks like not only are they not less, they're more. There's a, there's a bigotry there that we're now becoming aware of, and it's been there for some time. Didn't go into there's a, there's a lot to go into there. There's another one about you know governments meddling in the healthcare markets. Obamacare now we're old enough and mature enough to admit it, it, it has been a dismal failure. Remember, remember it was supposed to be the Affordable Care Act. Things are not more affordable, and there isn't more and better care. And if you go to the healthcare marketplace, you'll find that the subsidies aren't even keeping up with the cost, and the, the healthcare plans that are available on the healthcare marketplace. Are not are not good plans. They're not great plans. They they've got they used to have silver and gold and and bronze. Now they're like barely bronze. They're 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 anemic plans. So Obamacare has been a dismal failure. It hasn't done anything. We've seen a massive consolidation of hospitals, really because of the way government's conducted itself. We now are so desperate that we believe Medicaid will save rural hospitals like uh, up in, in Western North Carolina or in Northeast North Carolina. So. What's happened is these big hospitals like Atrium and, and, and Novon and others are gobbling up hospitals, Vident Health. They're gobbling up hospitals, and then they've created, as Dale Falwell, candidate for governor, state treasurer right now, has said, they're cartels. They've created a cartel system uh, with a billing system that barely anyone understands. We don't understand our insurance. Our insurance covers things, and, and the bills are adjudicated in a way that doesn't make sense. So it's very confusing, and North Carolinians are not, you know, we can say we want to have choices. We, we get into this reproductive health, but we never talk about actual health care and how confusing it is. It's absurd. And, and now we threw a Hail Mary thinking government government's made it all worse. We don't have much competition because we have cartels. We were just talking about drug cartels. They don't like competition either, by the way. But now we find that that, that the only way to save a rural hospital is to throw a Hail Mary with government spending on Medicaid? Why do you think that's going to work long term? No one will answer that. The governor can't answer that. He, he's glad to have Medicaid, but he can't answer that because it's not going to save them long term. Until there's actually, we get rid, one of the things North Carolina has is what's called a certificate of need law that Republicans have not gotten rid of, Democrats have not gotten rid of. It's a silly ridiculous law that prevents competition in healthcare. If we got rid of that, you could have more dialysis centers. You could have more competition across the board. You'd see more ASCs, more American surgical centers popping up in different parts of the state because they could actually compete and make money and do so because competition is good. It drives down prices. We don't have competition in healthcare. So if you wonder why prices keep going up, there's no competition in healthcare in North Carolina. It's absurd to think that. But again, didn't go into that in depth either. So those were two that I kind of avoided. One that I do want to get into, it, it does stop going up to the, the top level, is this situation where the leader of your nation does matter. We're seeing it at the border right now. It does matter. 
Was it perfect under Trump on this other border? No, but it was a damn sight better than it is now. It's an absolute train wreck, and Mallorca's is incompetent. Period. End of telegram. But the other part is that the global leaders don't necessarily trust us either on, on the global scale. People can say, oh, Biden's respected these, but no, they don't. How can I prove that they don't? Over the weekend, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin declared, quote, Iran's support for Houthi attacks on commercial vessels must stop. This is an international challenge that demands collective action. Therefore, today I am announcing the establishment of Operation Prosperity Guardian, an important new multinational security initiative. So that's allegedly Austin speaking on behalf of the Biden administration, telling you we're going to protect ships that are going through the Suez Canal and around that point near Yemen. International, we're going to do it. We're going to defend them. But you know what? It's a day late and a dollar short because they didn't really, they, if they really, if, if shipping companies believed that, they wouldn't have stopped shipping there. An international coalition comprising U.S., U.K., Italy, Canada, France, Bahrain, the Netherlands, Norway, Seychelles, and Spain was going to provide protection. But did the companies believe them? Major shipping companies like Mertz, BP, Hapig Lloyd, and CGM Group have diverted their vessels. They're taking, they're taking all their ships, and they're going the long way around Africa to mitigate the known risk of the Houthi pirates. They're hedging their bets because if they are depending on the military might and political will of Joe Biden, they, they don't believe in him. They don't believe in him. So we all will pay more for those goods because it costs a lot more to ship it around the southern tip of Africa than going through the canal, through the Mediterranean, straight over to the U.S. or back and forth. There is no faith in the leadership of the U.S. right now. You know, you can circumnavigate the globe pretty much by going through the Suez Canal and through the Panama Canal. You can go around it without having to go around the southern tip of South America or the southern tip of South Africa. And now we can't. We can't count on that because they don't have faith in the leadership of our nation. And that's costing everyone. They don't believe, you know, it, it's good to work with allies, as the Wall Street Journal said. But the truth is that this effort will depend largely on the U.S. military power and political will. The details of how the task force will operate isn't clear and many of the countries that he mentioned, like the Seychelles, they don't have a Navy. They don't have a Navy. What are the Seychelles going to do to help protect it? They have two soldiers? I mean, the, the Swiss Guard in the Vatican has more. You know, but and, and the Houthis aren't intimidated by it. They don't believe the U.S. has the will to go after them. So that, those were three of the stories that I was going to go into depth. I'm not going to. Because there, there's much more stuff we'll get to on the other side of the break. We're going to get to, you know, some of the things to look for in 2024 from a, from a leftist that wrote this at the Hill, and also some breakthrough, a breakthrough, a major breakthrough in energy that we really need to recalibrate our mindset moving it forward in human history. Much more to go here on the Brett Winnable Show. Chad Adams, your guest host. We'll be right back after this. Heading toward the top of the fourth hour here on the Brett Winterbull Show. Chad Adams, your guest host, rounding out my week and uh, hoping Brett got some much-needed rest and uh, Christmas prep, for lack of a better phrase. If you'd like to get in on this final uh, segment, couple of segments, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110, here on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And, you know, uh, just to recap a little bit, Jack's, Jack Smith, Jack the, uh, the, the, the famed prosecutor up in D.C. had a really bad day. The Supreme Court rejected 
his attempt to expedite things all the way to the Supreme Court to prevent Trump from doing some appeals, which will put this trial till well past the election next year. And and it, it is a serious problem. for It's a huge setback. He just and, and here's the funnier thing. None of the liberal justices on the court had anything to say. They just reject no comment. No comment from any of them. None of them even gave him any shade. And everyone said like, okay, Jack, pretty interesting, but uh, we're just not going to do it. Just no. No. Not going to happen. So that was a huge rebuke of, of Smith and, and the special counsel looking into things in D.C. It's, uh, it's not going well for him. Um, and before we get to the, 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 the next thing, and it's about the energy. One of the most frustrating things about the, the hack agenda that is the climate change agenda is, is the one inability to debate what that means, what what it would mean, what it actually means. It's all fear, doom, devastation, end of the world stuff, which which makes it a lunatic fringe cult group rather than a sensible one. There are lots of ways to produce energy. We need to make sure it's cheap and affordable for us to be competitive in the world. You can't just dump oil and be done and think you're going to pick it up. I don't care what these, you know, a lot of college level kids think that you can just put five solar panels up and supply your entire town or two windmills and everything's good. It doesn't work that way. And the profound lack of common sense on that amazes me. And the way in which, and again, it's this virtue signaling that we get from the likes of John Kerry, who hops on a, a, a plane and zips around the globe saying, well, what I do to the, you know, I don't look at me. I'm not a hypocrite because I'm trying to save the planet. I'm, I'm, I'm better than everyone else. I'm going to try to save the planet. But we will get into the industry because the, we're on the precipice. Uh, if you looked at over time where we, we've been, you, you looked at the way you know, you're bur- burning cow dung and, and coal, and, or actually wood, and you went from wood to coal. You went from coal to you know, gas, from gas to, to natural gas and gas and petroleum products. And, and you'd be, with each step, we've actually, from a human standpoint, become a little cleaner. As you know, hydroelectric came along. As nuclear, we we moved to nuclear, where we can produce an abundance. If we built more nuclear plants, an abundance of cheap, affordable energy over time. Uh, we we now know how to build them. We know how to build them smaller, tighter, better, faster. Kind of the six million dollar man theme, faster, better than they were before. We have the ability to do that from a regulatory standpoint. We ought to streamline those regulations because we know how to make them safely. We should do that. But we're moving to unleashing the power of the sun. We're moving to hydrogen. It's a natural evolution. We're going to skip solar. We're going to skip a lot of the this stuff with the way we look at batteries and electric cars and solar. And it's just even Spain. Spain, by the way, is dumping 35% of their windmills because they've run out of time. They don't last but so long. And you got to fill landfills full of windmills because they're, they're, they've worn out their usefulness. They're done. They're tapped out. They, they, they've done their run. Now they got to tear them down and rebuild a very costly enterprise. It's not going to work. So some of the questions that are coming up for next year, this is from The Hill, and, and I just wanted to get to this. And I, it's Myra Adams has it out there. I, I don't consider her a right of center way of looking at things. So she's got some interesting questions out there. Number one, what if a barrage, this is things to look for next year. And again, some of this I, I disagree with, but I'm going to put them out there because, hey, we're trying to be fair. What if a barrage of AI-generated content? Well, let me make sure everything's yippee ki out here. Um, but Barry, let's uh, let's get to Barry first. Barry, you've been waiting. I just saw this pop up. So, Barry, welcome to the show. How are you this afternoon? I, I wanted to respond back to your comment about competition in healthcare. 
that that is a, a falsehood that is repeated so often. I, I just have to respond respond to it. Competition will not work in healthcare. For example, because if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning with severe pain from appendicitis, you will not go online and call around and research prices and check quality ratings. You'll call an ambulance and get to the closest hospital you can. Same thing if someone has a stroke or a heart attack or an accident. And so there, it, in so many healthcare situations, there's just no time for competitive mechanisms to be effective. Well, let me let me take it a step further because in an emergency situation, a lot of things, whether it's car accidents or fires and things like that, you re- rely on certain infrastructures that are in place. Your local hospital is where you're going to go. My wife had an aneurysm, horrible situation. You're right, but the way in which it worked, because the infrastructure for that healthcare and the way it was set up was not that competitive, she almost died because they couldn't get her to healthcare because there's limits. There's no way through certificate of need that she could have care that was closer than an hour away, and it took them seven hours to get her to the hospital. That, that was absurd. Had we had more options in healthcare, there would have been a closer way to help her deal with things. My mother was in a hospital not too long. She ended up dying. They gave her remdesivir, which contributed to her kidney shutting down. They couldn't move her to a hospital because there weren't enough beds, again, because of certificate of need and a lack of competition. They wanted to move her six hours away to a hospital when there was one right down the street, but it happened to not be in North Carolina. So, I mean, I, agree. I hear what you're saying in emergency situations. I've had two of them, and both of them were epic failures because of the way in which healthcare is delivered. I would add, I would add that in many ways when you look at competition, and I agree, competition isn't the only answer, but government getting involved in it hasn't made it better. We know that now. But I would say if you looked at areas where competition does occur in healthcare, and I would say if you looked at elective plastic surgery, it's a really good example of where competition has made it made the procedures better and prices come down. If you looked at eye procedures and, and eye surgeries where government's not as involved, where a lot of uh, price supports are not in place, your eye care options for LASIKs and the different technologies there for your eyes has gotten better and cheaper. We don't see that a lot with healthcare because it gets stuck. And, and do you think that having these cartels set up has been good for North Carolina? And, and that the price structure is understood by North Carolinians, that they understand what they're paying for with health care? Well, to some Gary? extent, we're each yeah. picking examples that, that make our case. You know, you're picking non-emergency situations, not picking emergency situations. So the uh, examples- mine were emergencies. No. Both of mine were emergencies. My mom almost died because they couldn't get her to a dialysis center because we're not allowed to have dialysis centers all over North Carolina because of certificate of need. No competition in dialysis. You have to ship them off to a hospital somewhere else that may have dialysis. So meanwhile, she was dying sitting in a hospital because even the port, this is funny, George, uh, Barry, they, can, they, they have portable dialysis that they do. They, they drive it around to people's houses, but they won't allow it to go into a hospital to give people dialysis. You have to get them to another hospital. So if she wasn't in the hospital, she could have gotten dialysis. So what I'm saying is these, the, the way in which we structure healthcare is very counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve. And that's kind of the point I was making. Do you think that competition would help healthcare at all? No, no, I don't. I, I really don't. I think. I think Do you think government-run healthcare is the answer? Hey, Barry, tell you what, we're up against a break here. I want you to stay because I think what you're saying is important, and I don't want to cut you off. I think that that you're adding something to a conversation. I want to continue that. Would you stay through the break with me? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go to a break right now. Ding. 
Good afternoon. Continuing our discussion in this last segment, Chad Adams, your guest host in for Brett Winterbull here on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Beat, uh, Barry stayed with us through the break. We're talking about uh, the idea of competition in healthcare. Barry very much doesn't believe in it. I am someone that believes we need some of it. And, and Barry, you know, I, I appreciate you staying through the break like this, but you don't believe that, that any, that any, con- okay, let me, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think you believe some competition is good, but you don't want a lot of competition in healthcare. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because uh, uh, one I, of, I one think, of the I other... Think, I, I, I think competition in non-emergency areas, like plastic surgery, for example, would work, would work just fine. But whenever you have something where care is like immediate and people don't have time to do the research needed for competitive mechanisms to work, in that case, competition is just not going to work. Okay, so if if there were, would, do you think if a community could support two hospitals that had that had competition between those two hospitals, uh, do you think that is is viable, or do you think that's a you know moonbat crazy idea? No, again, because with emergency services, people just don't have time to do the kind of research needed. You know, you you can research what kind of car to buy and buy a good quality car at a good price, but again, you can't you can't you don't have time to do that kind of research. Um, you know, if you, if you have a heart attack or appendicitis or something. Right. So so from an emergency standpoint, trauma care, no competition, but like knee surgeries, uh, hip, hip replacements, things of that nature, competition, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I say that because part one of the things I do is I work with a company that does, we call it importing competition. And so we do hip replacements, knee replacements. We do them in... Costa Rica, Cancun, places like this with American-trained doctors in many instances. They're top-of-the-line facilities and lower infection rates than American hospitals, and we're finding we can do it at about a fifth the cost in many instances, and including taking a spouse, flying them, because the costs are so ridiculously inflated here. And and there's no reason in the world an e-surgery should cost sixty or 80000 when you can do it for fifteen, eighteen thousand. 18000 uh, Most places on the planet except for the U.S., which is a very protected you know, class of, of healthcare. So, so how, how do you, how do you think Barry, you would do it? Would you, would, so if, for trauma care, emergency trauma services, because many people get first level care at emergency rooms. We found that when I was a County commissioner, we, we found that at five o'clock between five and 7 PM, the emergency room was getting flooded with people that had colds and, and runny noses because that's where they was a point of care. And, and we, we decided we opened up the health department for a couple more hours and we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars because people started going to the health department and the emergency room actually came oh, for people who needed emergency care. So there, there wasn't competition, but there was an alternative. And you would, would you say that was a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah, I'm really sorry. You're, you're fading out on me. I think my cell oh, phone is not working I'm properly. I'm so sorry. Well, Barry, I tell you what, I appreciate your, your call, and, and, and I think that you're not alone. A lot of people you know, try to decide, is it a commodity or is it a service? And I think this debate is far from over, but I think your argument about trauma care is a valid one, and we just have to be careful about the degree to which government supports it. So would we kind of agree on that a little bit? Okay, thank you. Like, I, like I said, I'm really sorry. I'm, only, I'm getting okay. listening to sort of what you're we saying. We lost I, I Barry, appreciate you listening to me. Have a, have, have a good holiday. You too. Thank you so much. I, sorry I have appreciate to run. that. Bye-bye. Okay. One of the things I wanted to mention before we got to the top of the, hour, uh, top of the show is that we do see some really cutting-edge stuff happen. Scientists have managed to repeatedly – this is from The Independent, and it's, it's, it's something that's happening quite a number of places – 
in the U.S. Scientists have managed to repeatedly produce nuclear fusion ignition for the first time, marking a milestone towards achieving near limitless clean energy at scale. A team at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in the U.S. achieved fusion ignition last December, producing a net energy gain from a fusion reaction for the first time in human history. The feat was hailed as a moment in history by physicists, which LLNL scientists have now repeated three more times. The lab used the National Ignition Facility to fire 192 laser beams at a frozen pellet of isotopes held within a diamond capsule suspended in a gold cylinder. Sounds like a great Christmas gift, doesn't it? A diamond capsule in, in suspended in a gold cylinder. Uh, the resulting reaction replicated the same natural processes found within the sun and resulted in a record energy increase of 89%. This was only enough energy to boil a kettle. However, scaling up this proof of concept could herald a new era of energy, according to the scientific nature journal, or I'm sorry, the scientific journal Nature. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good, Richard Town, a physicist who heads up the Inertial Confinement Fusion Science Program. I think we should all be proud of the achievement. So this is a rather, this would be a seismic shift in the way in which we look at energy to heat your homes, to cool your homes, to, to, to do any number of things, because it could be a, a real game changer. But it would, but again, the U.S. government and, and other governments have subsidized so much alternative energy that that will not that that could be completely outdated if and when fusion energy becomes a way to produce it. Much smaller, much less risk, much smaller footprint, much more environmentally friendly and potentially limitless energy in so doing and producing it. So these are the kind of things that, that, that research really makes a difference on and that moving, um, moving this way, it would be just an amazing opportunity for us to move the entire human ability to, to, to need energy. It would be fantastic. And, and to Barry's point earlier, I, I definitely did not want anyone to think I was trying to cut them off I, I wasn't trying to cut them off. Matt, I'm going to get you in. Go ahead, Matt. Come on in here before we finish. Hey, up. Jed. Uh, first of all, I think you're doing this show some justice, man. Uh, you're really, really good at debating people. Uh, I'm just calling, and I know you're pressed for time. I'll just make it real quick. Um, you had a caller a few, a uh, couple segments ago that was, you know, a Democrat, but he sounded like a more medium-leaning de Democrat. He yep. wasn't like a blue wig-wearing wacko, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I've got a buddy like that that we go and shoot pool a couple times a month and drink a few beers, and he's a Democrat, and I'm, I think, more like a Republican. I voted for Trump, but uh, I don't agree with everything Republicans do, but we'll get into a debate about something, and I had a debate one time with him, and we were talking about kids, you know, having, basically having sex change operations uh, as minors, and he, he's, you know, just refused to denounce it, and I said, well, what would wow. you think about a 13-year-old walking into a tattoo parlor and wanting to get stupid tattooed across his forehead? Well, that's illegal. I mean, you can't do <laughs> Okay, but you could get laser surgery and remove the tattoo, but you, there's no surgery you can do to undo what they're doing. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, once you once you go, you know, uh, the, the, you know debating... Logic. It's like once once you lose the debate, they just move on to the next thing, and then they okay, do. Well, what about the open borders? Blah blah yeah. blah. Yes, I think it's true. What about Nixon? He had to resign because he got caught. Doing... 
What does Richard Nixon have to do with the fact that 12,000 people crossed the border two days ago? You know, and and so then we move on to the next thing. And it's like just trying to shadow box yourself. You get nowhere. But I know you're pressed for time. I think you're doing a great job, man. I hope you get a I hope you get a permanent spot on this radio station. Wow. Well, high praise, Matt. I love this audience. I love this station. The staff is fantastic. The hosts are wonderful, and it's it's a. a, Hey, uh, you're cutting out. uh, Just like the other guy said, you're cutting out. But I hope you still hear me. Merry Christmas. I love the job you did, and I I'm going to listen to you when you're filling in for Pete. Wow. Well, Matt, on that one, Merry Christmas to all and to all. A good night from Chad Adams here sitting in for Brent Wonderful. Have a fantastic evening, folks.